This morning we're going to be talking about parenting a prince. And somebody asked me this morning, are you going to be talking about just a prince? Or are you going to be talking about princesses? Because those of you who only have girls may feel like, okay, this meeting really isn't for us. But I just want to use the, the term prince as the scripture uses the term man in the, you know, the Bible to include all of mankind, right? So when I say prince, and I'm going to say princess also, we're talking about both genders. So boys and girls, moms and dads, it's for all of us here today. July 22, 2013, an event took place that the entire world, yes, even third world countries, people across the globe on their devices, through newspapers, magazines, whatever form of communication, word of mouth sharing, they were looking forward to and anticipating this event that happened last year, July 22. Who knows what that event was? Yes. The birth of a royal prince. Everywhere across the world, people were anticipating this great event. Interestingly enough, on my way here on Tuesday, as we were flying, I came across the newspaper and the royal family is expecting again. And it's just as big a news. Well, I shouldn't say that. It wasn't the front cover picture of Princess Catherine, you know, feeling not feeling poorly like it was two years ago. But it's definitely made the news again. But on July 22, a king, a future monarch was born. And everyone was so excited about this new king. And they wanted to find out his name. It wasn't told immediately. But within a short period of time, his parents gave him this name. His Royal Highness, Prince George Alexander Lewis of Cambridge. What a name is that? How would you like to be in school, children, and write your name? Prince Sumner Michael Lloyd Beale of Colchester, Connecticut. Quite a name, right? Quite a name. But you know, with all the excitement and the anticipation, everything that took place around the birth of this child... Do you know that this little baby, Prince George, came into the world just like every one of us? He came in naked, totally naked. He came in wet, maybe even slimy, if I can use kind of a more descriptive word, right? Cold, perhaps he was cold, crying, helpless, and totally dependent. So he's no different than any of us in this room. In fact, we are all the same. We all come into the world the same. And then in the process of going through life, 
We choose where we go in life. Now, his destiny is all automatic, shall we say. At least his earthly destiny is automatic. We have a choice in the destiny we have. Every young person in this room has a choice in the destiny you have. And we all, and more importantly, have a choice in the eternal destiny we want to have. And that's what we want to focus on here this morning. How do we parent a prince? I was very excited the morning, well, it was two mornings after the baby was born. It was July the 24th. We were in a hotel getting ready to fly somewhere. And as I was leaving the hotel, they had this US, USA Today sitting on the counter. And the, the caption caught my attention because it was the news, not of just the 22nd of July, not all the time preceding that, but for days following that was the news around the world about this baby boy, Prince George. And this caught my attention because it said that the royal family was going to be given advice on how to raise a prince. Because you understand that if you are a prince, you are in the line to to inherit the kingdom, right? The throne. That's an important position, isn't it? And these parents need to have wisdom from the specialists on how to prepare their son for such an honorary position, a position of power. And this is the United Kingdom. It's a very influential and powerful country, nation in the world. Even though it's a very small landmass, you think about the influence of that country across the globe. It's phenomenal. You can go to almost any, you can go to any continent and find influence of the British kingdom there. Even as to where, what side of the road they drive on. You know, a lot of the the world, they drive on the other side of the road, the left side of the road, instead of the right-hand side, like we do. That's the British influence. So in this article, it says, the best advice. And I was interested to see, what are the experts going to tell these parents on how to raise their little prince? The best advice. And here is what they said. Fall crazily in love with him. Isn't that sweet? Fall crazily in love with him. Now, parents, when you saw your child for the very first time, even though it could have been a very painful process, moms, getting to that point, right? Some of you remember. But when you saw your child for the first time, boy or girl, You forgot the process and you focused on the love that you had for this totally helpless, naked, dependent little person. I had the privilege of being at our grandson's birth in July of this year. And as I was with my daughter, Allison, through her labor, it brought back so many memories of being where she was. And I can remember on our first child, probably three quarters of the way through the process of labor, when you get to the real hard stuff, all you mamas know what I'm talking about. I told my husband, I don't want to do this anymore. And he said, honey, it's not an option now. 
It's okay. I got through it, right? But I tell you, once I held, even before I held, once I saw our child, this little girl, our Allison, all that was forgotten. And we had a new focus. And so we as parents instinctively love our children. But the point I want to make here is that today, every child in this room, because we're talking about parenting now, so every one of our children here in this room, or maybe you have grandchildren in this room, but every one of them have the same royal heritage as little Prince George of the United Kingdom. Every one of them. And sometimes we as parents forget the honor that God has given us to be parents and the honor he has given us in raising his children. Whose children? His children for his kingdom. And I believe that while the whole world looked on with great anticipation, looking forward to the new prince to be born, I believe with even greater excitement and enthusiasm, the angels of heaven look on when our children are born. Because in the kingdom of God, he is not, it's not determined by, you know, economics or education or caste or anything. We are created equal. And the angels of heaven are singing with joy. At the birth of every human being born. Knowing that that child has the potential to be living forever with them in the kingdom of heaven. It's a a neat thought. And so we know that we are no longer servants. We are no longer destined to be just caught in the the weakness of our humanity in this sin-filled world. But through the blood of Jesus Christ, we are now heirs to the throne of God through Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you a couple references. Galatians 4 verse 7. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then... And I'm going to put it in first person, okay? Then we are heirs through Christ. What a thought, right? We are not just raising our children just to get on or get through life here. We are to raise our children in preparation for their role in the heavenly kingdom. 1 John 3 verse 1. Behold what manner of love our Father has given or bestowed to us that we should be called, what? The sons of God. The sons of God. That doesn't mean the female class is excluded. Sons and daughters of God. Prince and princesses of God. So parents, for the next five to ten seconds, I want you just to look at your princess or your prince who's sitting by you in this room. Children, it may seem awkward when mother looks at you or daddy looks at you, but you can look back at them and you can smile. Because we're going to be talking about how they're going to make life happier for you. 
You children want to have a happy life? There's three children that want to have a happy life. You children want to have a happy life? Okay, smiles, nods, amens, yeses. Yeah, we want to be happy, right? We're going to find some of those keys that we're talking about for happiness for children. Keys for happiness for parents that we can be successful in our role as parents in the Lord. So I'm going to read to you from the article. Okay. Fall crazily in love with him. USA Today, July 24, 2013. Now remember, this advice is given by the most prestigious and elite pediatricians and child developmental psychologists in the world. Is that pretty impressive? By worldly terms, it is. Actually, when I picked up this magazine or this newspaper, I was a bit skeptical, especially with the title. So I wanted to see what the authorities had to say. And I want to quote from the authorities because what I discovered in the advice that they have given is that there's no better advice than what the word of God has. And even though they do not attest to being followers of the God of the universe, all of their worldly wisdom, all of their expertise cannot outdo what God says. And in fact, supports the scriptures. Is that amazing? And I quote, children need structure. What do children need? Structure. Children need routine. And discipline. Can you believe they actually printed that? (laughs) Because we live in a society, a worldwide culture, where the entire philosophy is give children what they want when they want it to keep them happy. There are no rules. There are no restrictions. There are no hands off. There are not even basic manners being taught, certainly not respect, in almost anything you pick up by these type of people writing books on how to raise children. And here, because they are writing to the royal parents, they are writing to prepare this new baby to be the king, the monarch of a powerful world-leading nation. If, if they had the same advice, all they would say, hey, read my book, you know? But they're giving specific advice. And this advice is different than what you read in the common books they put feed into our hands in the public sector. Children need structure, routine, and discipline. And with each year of life, with each year of life, they need more independence. Would we agree with that, parents? More independence. And, I love this next two words, more responsibility. More responsibility. 
Each birthday should bring one new privilege. How many? One. And I love the next phrase. One new chore. Whoa, that got a response here. Do you know that in one of our states here in the U.S., a family was turned into social services because their children had chores to do? It's probably happened more than once. They actually had their children taking the trash out. They had their children making their own beds, the children's own bed. They had the children washing dishes, and those parents were charged with child abuse. This is the society in which we are living. And lest we think this is not happening, this climate is growing at an astronomical rate. So it's not to make us fearful, it's to make us wise Prudent and intentional. But here we see that the recommendation for royalty is to give them chores to do. Now, if anybody in this world could have the easy life, it would certainly be little Prince George, right? He wouldn't have to pick up a toy. He wouldn't have to put his dirty clothes in the hamper. He wouldn't have to wipe the table or pick up the floor. Do anything. It could be done. Even without even asking people around him. But these parents, and I praise God for these parents who have said we are going to be hands-on parents. They could have them raised by nannies. They're they're intentional parents. They're going to raise their own son. They're going to follow the advice. And they're going to have a, a different product than what many of us would have if we followed the general advice. So what I want to do is I want to look at a couple of these areas this morning because we find here in the Word of God these very principles. And if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40. And we're going to talk about to parent successfully. Not to parent, many parents parent out of stress. Or parent to survive, shall I say. If you're in survival parenting, we're missing it. We need to parent not to survive, but we need to parent for success. And here we see one of the principles in 1 Corinthians 14, 40 that says, let things be done decently and in order. Well, somebody said something. Let all things, all things. That little word that I left out gives a total different meaning to this scripture, doesn't it? All things. Children, how much is all things? How much? Everything. Does that mean how your drawers look, children? Does that mean how your school desk looks? Does that mean how you take care of your toys? What about your bicycles? When you're done riding, you just drop them and then run in the house? 
What does that mean, children? To be de- let all things be done decently in order. If you're done riding your bike, what does that mean you do with your bike? You park it and what? Put it where it goes, right? Not in front of the door. So when mama goes out of the house, she falls over it. If that's where you're supposed to park your bike, then you'll have to use a different door. But most people don't park their bikes in front of the door. So that means everything we do. And parents, for us, we need to begin now to structure this into our families. It's as much a challenge for us as parents as it is for our children. Our children do need structure and routine. And there's another word we kind of summarize it up into. It's called schedule. And it's one of those words that people recoil from. But it's one of those things of life that bring us the blessing of contentment. The environment that provides security is an environment that is routine and structured or scheduled. Children need it. We need it as adults. That means our children need to have regularity in their meal times. Breakfast the same time every day. Lunch the same time every day. Dinner the same time every day. Children need structure and routine in sleeping. Almost every parent. I'm going to say every parent. If you have never said this, please tell me afterwards. Because I I don't think I've ever met a parent who's never said these words. Oh, he missed his nap. That's why he's cranky. Oh, she's tired. We got her to bed late last night. That's why she's out of control. We usually don't follow it up and say that's why she. It's just intuitively understood. In other words, we as parents start making excuses for our children's behavior because they didn't get enough sleep. Now, it is true, and we adults suffer the same thing. When we don't get enough sleep, we are not as calm as we could be, right? We tend to be more crabby. Is that an excuse? What it should be is a call to our heart that we need the, the, the order and discipline in our life, right? To have routine and a schedule. So sleeping is an area. What about school? How many children are in school? Can I see your hands? How many children are either from kindergarten up through college? Okay. Almost all of them here in the room. Is there a certain time school starts every day? Yes. Whether you homeschool, I'm going to talk really straight to homeschoolers. Or you go to school. Now, most parents, if you take your child to school, they can be there on time for the most part, right? But it's amazing that they have to be, you might have to leave the home at 8 o'clock in the morning, 8.30 in the morning, get your child to school on time, and you can do that. But if you decide to homeschool, that you can't get school started till 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning. There's a problem. The problem isn't... The distance you have to drive, we should really, in reality, be able to start earlier because we're not having to go anywhere to do it, right? But it's because we do not have the expectation on ourselves to have schedule in order in our home and that it is an an unbendable need that causes the problem. 
And I speak from experience on this, so I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. Our children need regularity in playtime. If you find your child, every, every chance they get, they're out the door, they're in the room, they're going somewhere to play because they don't know if and when it's going to come. But if they know every day at 3 o'clock or every day at noon or every day at whatever time you set is going to be their time to play, they're going to be much more content. And you're not going to have to go hunting them up all the time because they're, you know, vanishing out of the room to go, you know, get five minutes of playtime. Because they need time for play, but they need it in the schedule. They need, we need time in our families to worship together. And start the day and end the day with the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we carry him through the day much easier. And he carries us through the day much easier because we're more willing to cooperate. There we see the, the scripture, the principle. And I tell you, in our early parenting, I read all the books that I could get my hands on. This is 33 years ago. And there were quite a few at that time. Only Christian books, by the way. Only ones I bought the ABC even. How's that? Okay. I really only wanted the best. But sadly, I never picked up the scriptures or the spirit of prophecy. I picked up everything else I could read because I already knew that stuff, right? I mean, I grew up with that stuff. And now I want to see what, what, what I need to do to be a good parent. And I tell you, the first few years in our home was we were parenting to survive. We were parenting by crisis. We were parenting in frustration. We were parenting out of desperation. And in reality, but by the time our first child hit two, she had more authority in the home than mom and dad in some areas. She would talk back to us. She could sass us. She could tell us what she thought. She had an incredibly good vocabulary and she knew how to use it. And she knew how to work the system and play the parents. Parents, the greatest thing we can do is to be in agreement with one another as husband and wife. And if we're not, we need to get there as quick as we can. And it's not what I think and it's not what you think. It's what God says needs to be the foundation of our agreement. We had trouble in our home. The second one came along. We doubled our problems. It was not a pleasant place to be. Now, you know, in public, you know, there's ways that we kind of get around it. And that's why we use all these phrases in public. Oh, she's tired. She didn't get a nap. Da, 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 da. We, we excuse all this, you know, because we're embarrassed. Now it's the norm. Nobody's even embarrassed about it anymore. In fact, it's the expected that anytime you walk into any store or any place, there's kids anywhere. Whether it's the McDonald's or the Walmarts or anything, it's expected that you're going to see children in tantrums, out of control, screaming, crying, uncontrollably, demanding, fist fighting, whatever. You see it everywhere you go. We see it regularly as we travel. Airplanes are no different. The fights are everywhere. And parents back down, back down, back down. And we, we have the bag of goodies trying to keep them quiet and content. And all we're doing is intensifying the problem. Because our children need schedule. When we saw that, God is good. He lets us see 
the direction we're going. He lets us experience our choices, right? The, the results of our choices or consequences of our choices, however you want to say it. But when we recognize that our ways are not working, I pray that we will go to God's ways and find what really works. And that's what we began to do. We began to study, and particularly me, I began to study this little book called Child Guidance. I had one lady tell me in our church, this is before our second child was born, that you don't need to read that stuff. Children should not be expected to be like that. You think that helped me out? Not a bit. So we need to encourage one another in reading what we know is inspired and will bring us the happiness that God wants us to experience in our homes and to develop the fruit of the character of Christ in all of us in the family. So we began. The only thing we did different at the beginning was set a schedule in place. We started putting the girls to bed at a certain time every night, and we did not flex on that. And within a few days, we saw a dramatic difference in attitudes, in cooperation, in just general happiness and contentment, just by having a bedtime and a mealtime that happened the same way. Same time, breakfast every day. Instead of when they get out of bed, if they're hungry, they go to the table. If they're not, they just play. And then when they get hungry, they come and say, oh, I'm hungry now. And you can't get it out fast enough to make them happy. So let's have a schedule in our homes. It was such a dramatic, positive change in our family that we became super disciplined because we saw the benefits of it in our own lives as well as the lives of our children. I was sharing this concept years ago at a family camp meeting, because that's when they were called family camp meetings many years ago. Not here in Virginia, but out in California. With a family who had come for the first time. They had three school-aged children. They just pulled them out of school. And they had just started that year to homeschool. And that poor mother, a very educated mother. We had a lot in common. The dad was super educated. And, you know, very, one's a health professional. One's, you know, very in the professional world. And both of them were saying... It's just, we, can't, we can't handle these kids at home. I mean, it's, everything is falling apart. We have so much contention between them. They are arguing and fighting and fussing at one another. They can't get along. They can't get along with us. We are about ready to pull our hair out. We don't know what to do. We're about ready to send them back to school, although we don't like the influences there. And they said, you know, what can you share with us? And we said, Schedule. Because they had a schedule when they went to school. And mom has a schedule when mom goes to work. And dad has a schedule. So mom quit working to be with her children. But they didn't have schedule at home. And they began that next week to implement a schedule. We saw them several months later at a church venue they came to that we were asked to speak at. And the mom came up to us. She says, I have to tell you what happened in one week. 50% of our issues were gone. 50%. My children can just talk nice to each other. They're not bucking me every time I say something. It is like a different home. In one week, all we did was start a schedule that we stuck to, that we would not change. 
We just were with them last year. Now all their children are grown. One's married. She's got her master's or doctorate. And the son just graduated from a prestigious university heading for law school. And she said, can I show you the letters? My son took on his own initiative. He took a part-time job at a law firm because he wants to be an attorney. He wanted to be in the environment of attorneys, see how life was, get used to the lingo and all the things that take place. This is his goal in life. And she said he, he on his own initiative, he went out and he got a job on a part-time basis for this, this uh, law firm. Very, very prestigious law firm. She said every day, well, each day, it wasn't he didn't go to work every day, but each day he went to work, he was there on time. Well, what, what, what's that big deal? Because people aren't on time anymore. The meetings start here at 9 o'clock. That means they start at 9 o'clock, right? So it's very customary in our culture now that being late is nothing to be worried about. It's not an embarrassment. But if, if you have an appointment with somebody, if you have an appointment with an attorney and you're not there on time, when, when it's 10 o'clock and that's when you're appointed, you get, you're starting to charge for the time whether you're there or not. People have time to get to where they need to be if it's important to them. That's the bottom line. This young man was on time. That's not a, a part of the young culture today. He not only was to work on time, which means he was always early, by the way. But he went with his hair combed, his shirt tucked in. He dressed in nice, nice attire, not sloppy jeans, not, not the style of the young people of today. He used things like, yes, sir, no, ma'am, Mr. So-and-so. When he was given things to do, he never complained, no matter how menial the task was. And if he didn't have a specific thing to do, he looked for things to do. When without being asked, he'd just simply take the trash out. Have it shredded, because, you know, this is an attorney's office, and done away with appropriately. Those attorneys watched this happen over a period of time. And they started giving this young man more and more and more responsibility. And at the end of his college um, program, he applied to be an intern at the, in Washington, D.C. On the recommendation of these two attorneys... And the, the recommendation letters that they wrote, and many of you know how attorneys write. They use vocabulary that you're not even sure exists. <laughs> At least in my simple brain, I didn't know probably a quarter of the words on the, that thing. <laughs> More than that. <laughs> anyway, anyway, I have a very simple brain and very simple vocabulary. But... It was clear, the message, the recommendations they wrote about this young man, and let's just say this young man, was phenomenal. And through the entire process, he was representing his God. And they recognized it. They respected him for it. They had as much respect for this young man as this young man had for them. And it all started way back. When mom and dad said, okay, one of the keys to success for our young people 
is to have schedule and routine. Quoting from the book, Child Guidance, page 111 to 112. Genuine love, and that's what we want as parents, right? Genuine love will not let our children drift into idleness and untidiness. Slackness and untidiness. What kind of love? Genuine love. The love we have for our children will not allow our children just to go with the flow. If we really love our children, we have to do something proactive for their sake and for ours. Because it says on the next page, if children and youth... And I'm going to put, if adults, if we would form habits of regularity and order. See, it's, there's a qualifier there, right? If. So it's a choice. If we choose to develop the habit of regularity and order, young people, you would improve in health. Our children's health would be better. They would improve in spirit. That's their character. Would be better. They would improve in memory. You like that one? How many parents have ever said, heard their child say, Oh, I forgot. Can you take out the trash? Come back ten minutes later, the trash is still there. Why didn't you take out? Oh, I forgot. Their memories would be improved and their dispositions or attitudes. If our children would form habits of regulating order, they would improve in all of these areas. It's a win-win-win-win situation all the way across the board. Isn't that encouraging? By one simple principle. These are all assets to royalty. These are all keys to raising a successful king or monarch. These are the same tools that we need as parents to raise our children successfully for the kingdom of God. And then I want to talk about the other aspect that this article talked about, and that is children need discipline. Don't you love the word? Discipline. Isn't that a harmonious, lovely, pleasant word to discipline? Usually when we hear the word discipline... We automatically attach a negative thought to that, don't we? Discipline, punishment, correction, hard, miserable life, right? Discipline. No, this is the recommendation to raise a prince. This is the recommendation to raise royalty. This is the recommend, not the recommendation. This is what God is telling us as parents. Shall I say a command? Maybe it's a little strong. That we need as parents train up a child in the way he should go. That's the discipline it's talking about. Train up our children in the way they should go. Not the way they're going to go naturally, right? By their natural inclinations. But we need to train our children in the way they should go. Because it doesn't come natural to them, does it? 
Not at all, like it doesn't come natural to us. That is our privilege as parents. That is the job we took on when we became parents. That's Proverbs 22, verse 16. In the Old Testament, in the law of God, which is a law of love and liberty, by the way, the law of God is a law of love and liberty. When we operate within the law of God, we are happy and we have total freedom. It's when we break the law that we become miserable and in bondage. So in the law, Exodus 20, verse 12, children, who knows what that says? What does it say in Exodus 20, verse 12? Honor your father and your... Oh, both parents, huh? Not just dad? Because he's big. You have to honor my mom too? Yes. Honor thy father and thy mother. It's emphasized in the New Testament in Ephesians 6 verse 1. It says, children, obey. Obey your parents in the Lord. So discipline is simply training our children to be self-governed or have self-control. And we do that through teaching them how to obey. This discipline is learned through obedience. And it is the most important lesson we could ever teach our children. What's the most important lesson, parents? Obedience. Obedience. But it's also, while it is the most important lesson, it's the one that we most often fall short of. Because most of us, if not all of us, parent by giving our children the option to do what they want to do. At least that's what we say. For instance, let me give you some classic examples again. Some we have said. Some you have said. And I want you to tell me how our children respond or how your child has responded. You have your four-year-old and it's just about bedtime. And you say, honey, would you like to get your jammies on now? What is your darling four-year-old going to tell you? No. You asked, would you like to? You said it in the sweetest voice. You had a smile on your face. You had an entreaty in your heart. Would you like to get your jammies on? It's almost time for bed. And they say no. And then what do we say, parents? What? Do it anyway, right? Or we get them by the hand and we start, you know, we're, you need to get your pajamas on. Because what we asked them was not optional. It's something we expected. But somehow we've gotten this idea that if we ask them if they want to, they're going to naturally say, oh, yes, mommy, I'm so happy you asked me to put my jammies on. I can't wait to go to bed. <laughs> That's how it should be if we were all saintly, right? So we ask questions instead of making clear expectations. Here's another one. This is for a six-year-old boy. We had a six-year-old son. Josiah, do you want to put your trucks away now and help mommy? (laughs) No. 
no six-year-old boy is going to want to put his trucks away to help mommy. I mean, on a rare occasion, it may happen. But don't, you know, don't fall over if it does, okay? Just know the grace of God is working in spite of you, right? But more importantly, what do we want? If it's optional, you can ask the optional. And if he says, no, it's okay. Let him stay and play with the trucks. But if you want him to help you, whatever it is, put the clothes away, put the groceries away, whatever. Don't ask, do you want to? Because you probably will not have a child who wants to. And when we parent by asking questions that give options, we are not really teaching our children how to obey because there's no obedience in option like that. Do you want to? Obedience is hearing a clear expectation and saying or doing what that expectation is, is obedience. Would you like to get your books out and get your homework done? Now, I'm looking at the older ones here, and I I saw some incredible grimaces. Like, are you serious? (laughs) No, not right now in the meeting, but even in the teens, and I've witnessed this, even in the teens, if mom or dad doesn't say, and this is especially in the male category, it tends to be, they take a little longer generally to get self-driven in education. When our girls hit their early teens, I mean, even before that, 11, 12, they started making that shift. But I tell you what, it was, they were, they were at the school desk, you know, getting stuff started before, if they had 10 minutes before breakfast, that, that's where they were. Our son wasn't like that at 12 or 14. It took him a little longer to get there. That's why, I, you know, look at these young men. Son, it's time to start school. It's totally different. It's not an option, is it? And when we give a clear expectation, I'm not going to say demand or command, but a clear expectation, then we enlist the child's heart for a choice to obey. Because they know now we're asking for a response of obedience. There's many other examples. I think you get the point. True obedience. How do we know if our children are really obeying or they're just complying because they're afraid of the consequences? I hope that's not how we're parenting. They're afraid of what's going to happen if they don't. Rather than being motivated out of love because they want to. So it's often how we present it. But true obedience means that there will be no arguments. Son, would you take out the trash, please? I don't want to take it. It's not my turn. I did it yesterday, and Allison hasn't done it for four days. Children have incredible memories, and they're very fair. They're good at scorekeeping. They don't even need paper and pencil. They know if they've been asked one more time than their sibling to do something. But that's not the point. The point is for us as parents, we need to parent fairly and not pick on one child. But the point for our you children is, is if your mom asks you to do it, even if you've done it the last four times, that is what you're to do. 
And there's a reason she may be asking you. So that means true obedience will not have arguing. True obedience, children means that you won't be evasive. You know what evasive means? Maybe you little ones don't know, but you sure know it in practice. You just act like you don't hear your dad. You just kind of look the other way. Children do it instinctively. We saw it in our home. We could be right in the same room looking right at them and they couldn't hear us. Because what we're asking or saying is something they didn't want to hear. And we could be in the other room talking on the telephone. And I could say something like, honey, what do you think we need to get home today? Why don't we go to the park and have a picnic? And I'm just talking in a quiet voice on the phone in the other room to my husband. And the children say, oh, goody, we're going to go to the park as soon as dad gets home. We used to call it mule deer ears. You know, you have mule deer here? Okay. They, they, their ears are like radar. I mean, they, they, you know, they can go all directions. Phenomenal hearing for what they want to hear. So children, don't pretend like you don't hear what mom and dad say. And mom and dad, if you know your children hear you saying things that you're trying not to have them hear, and they can't hear what you want them to hear, it isn't the hearing issue. And we shouldn't fall into catering to that. We should address it. Right now, son, you are not listening to me. Right now, honey, you are tuning mother out. What did I ask you to do? And call them to accountability because they can tell you. But if we give them something, if we give them something to do and they just say an hour later, oh, I forgot. Okay, well, I want you to do that now. And the next day, oh, I forgot. Okay, we'll get it done now. If we keep letting that happen, We're going to grow the problem until it's very ugly. So we need to address it when it happens. So don't be evasive, children. And true obedience has no exceptions. It is what it is. Child Guidance, page 79. I love this reference. Because it is so absolutely true and it should appeal to every parent's heart and every child's heart in this room today children will be happier we want happy children right you want happy children children will be happier and it doesn't stop there it has a comma and then it says far happier far happier and children this is the key to true happiness Under proper discipline. Then left to do as their own untrained impulses suggest. And simply said, children, what that means is you're going to be much happier doing what mom and dad ask you to do than doing whatever you feel like doing in the moment. Because you will not experience true happiness there. You will experience only momentary gratification, but it's empty. And how you know that it doesn't make you happy is because 10 minutes later, you can be fussy, you can be cry, your lower lip can be falling off the bottom of your mouth because you are unhappy because things aren't going your way. 
So you're going to be much happier if you follow what mom and dad are asking you to do. Continuing on page 82 of Child Guidance, it says, From their earliest years, children should be taught to obey their parents, respect their words, and reverence their authority. Is that old-fashioned parenting? It's so old-fashioned, it's eternal. It's from before the foundations of this world. Because this is the parenting style that God the Father uses with all of his created universes. They learn how to obey. They're so happy. They learn how to respect. They learn to reverence God's authority. And parents, if we don't teach our children this, how to do this with us as their parents, and we allow them to talk back, to follow their natural inclination, to do their own thing, to fuss any time they don't get their way, if that is what we allow, we are going to be making it much more difficult for our children. Not impossible, but much more difficult for our children to learn to love and obey God. Because they learn to honor God when they learn to honor us as their parents. Children left unguided and undisciplined create a world about themselves. It's all about them. They don't see the needs of other people. They don't care about other people. They don't want their brother or sister to bother them. Everything is about them. These children are the children we see who are running through our churches. Screaming and hollering, going between people, pushing them, shoving, roughhousing. When I grew up, church was a reverent place because it's the house of God. Today, church is not a reverent place because we as parents have not done our duty to teach our children respect for authority and reverencing authority. Reverencing God in his house. We can't just say, that's just what everybody does. That's just how it is today. That's just what all the other kids in the church do. We can be different and help our children see that being different is a good thing. It's a happier way. In fact, when we teach our children that, when they see that behavior, they're thinking, whoa, you mean I could be acting like that? I mean, it's a turnoff, isn't it? But when they're in the midst of it, they have no idea what it's like because they're in it. When I grew up, people were Mr. and Mrs. To this day, my next-door neighbor, the widowed lady, was Mrs. Odin. I have no idea what her first name was. She's deceased now. Now, my parents knew her first name, and in personal conversations, they addressed her by her first name. But with us, it was always Mrs. Odin. It was amazing, the respect we had for our neighbor. When we have respect for our neighbor, we have respect for our neighbor's property. We didn't pick her roses because they weren't our roses. Were they pretty? They were gorgeous. She had a huge rose garden. They were beautiful. They were fragrant. I don't know how many she had, but every color you could imagine. The whole side of the, the property boundary between her home and our home was just nothing but thick roses. And she cared for them regularly. 
We never took one rose or rosebud or anything from those bushes. Even the ones that fell into our, you know, overhung in our yard. That's how we were taught. It's not yours. If you want it, you ask. We need to teach our children this discipline in life to respect other people. I'm going to close with this thought. I'm going to go back to the article. Did you find that article encouraging? It's one paragraph. And it's, it sums up, the, at the end of the article, it, it's telling this to the royal family. And it's good for us to hear it too. Because it's based off a spiritual principle. In this media-saturated, commercialized world. Would we agree that's where we're living today? Media-saturated, commercialized world, Right? In the world that we live, remember, remember, parents, that the skills children will always need to succeed, the skills our children are always going to need to succeed, and then it lists them, deep thinking, deep thinking. That means we just don't go with the flow. We just don't go with popular. We know how to think for ourselves. We know how to go deep in our thoughts. Our children need to learn that. So deep thinking, empathy, that means entering into somebody else's trauma or trial or difficulty and having compassion on them so that we are willing to sacrifice from ourselves to make things better for them. Empathy. Self-regulation or self-control, which is also we termed obedience. Our discipline. They need this. These are skills that children will always need to survive and thrive. Creativity. And the ability to differentiate between fact and hype. I love the way they have to pin this. What is fact? It's the truth, right? What is hype? Not the truth. It's an error. It's a falsehood, right? They didn't say between right and wrong or truth and error. They have to say between fact and hype because they can't really get it too, looking too much like, you know, the Christian understanding. But what it's saying is true. Our children will always need these skills to thrive in this world is the ability to differentiate between right and wrong, truth and error, fact and hype. These skills... Cannot be found on any screen, period. No screen. Whether it's a big one in your living room or the tiny one you hold in your hand, you will never find these skills there. This is from the elite, world-renowned specialists in child developmental psychology and pediatricians. This is really inspired by the Holy Spirit in a world that's quickly disintegrating in immorality and sin. These skills are learned in face-to-face communication with those who love their children. So who's that, parents? It's you, right? It's us as parents. That's where our children learn, in face-to-face communication with people who love them with hands-on opportunity to explore their world. That means we take time with them to discover the world together. 
and in time for silence. And I'm going to add to that word silence and say in time for silence to meditate and feed upon the word of God and the beauty of Christ's character and in prayer. Those are the ways children, those are the skills children need to thrive in life. Not just survive, but thrive. And we are raising prince and princesses for the kingdom of God. We don't want to raise them just to survive in this world. We want to raise them to thrive here and thrive for eternity. So let's cooperate with God. Let's implement these keys to parenting a prince. And we will reap the harvest because God has promised that if we are faithful parents, he will keep our children and keep them for eternity. Shall we kneel as we close in prayer? Father, thank you for being such a tender and compassionate, long-suffering God. A tender father who loves us more than we can ever understand. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege to no longer be servants to sin, but to be sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, heirs to your kingdom. Lord, help us as parents to not take casually the responsibilities that we have. Help us to not be indifferent Help us not to be run by so many other things that demand our attention above and beyond where our first work lies. And that is to really train our children, raise our children, love our children with genuine love. That will teach them the joy of obedience. That will help them learn that we're going to be happier if we have regularity and routine in our life. And that that regularity, Lord, always includes you. I pray for each of the children here that they will determine in their own hearts that they want to experience a deeper joy, a deeper freedom, more happiness, and that they will find that that only comes in you. We thank you for your love and the power to change. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.